What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show. I'm Kyle Coster. My guest today is John Walters, longtime Sports Illustrated writer, current professor at Arizona State University. We're going to talk about Kenny Maine's departure from SportsCenter and the show's past, present, and future. Once the centerpiece of ESPN's content structure to where's its new place in the pecking order. But before we start, John, I was curious, what is your role model for a professor? Do you fashion yourself kind of like a swashbuckling Indiana Jones type? Or are you a more cerebral, I'm going to be at the library on Friday night type, type of prof? I, I, I look at Professor Kingsfield from a movie called The Paper Chase back in the early 70s. Uh, John Houseman played him. I, I'm aspiring to that sort of build. I've already got the white hair. Uh, to be imperious, and yet hopefully once in a while have a good one-liner. And how hard is it to fight the urge to have people stand up on their desks at least once a semester? <laughs> I'm insulted when they don't. I really am. Uh, yeah, it was funny. Like yesterday, I, was, I texted about five of my students from two previous classes about something that had happened to me and that was like a teaching tool. And uh, that actually instigated a turf war between the students from the two different classes as to, are you side texting these other students the way you're side texting us? So that, that felt good, that I've created uh, some animosity within the halls of the Cronkite School. Oh man, I can't even imagine it. I didn't even know how to get a hold of my collegiate professors. Uh, and I'm sure they appreciated not hearing from me <laughs> like 40 minutes twice a week. Um, but to the issue at hand, Mm-hmm. Kenny Maine leaving SportsCenter, 27 years at the company as a full-timer, four as a freelancer before that. I don't know about you, but I was struck with this kind of chord of melancholy when mm-hmm. I read the news, which even got deeper and profound when I reflected upon it, thinking about Maine and his ability to just be himself mm-hmm. and to tap into his very weird brain and to get mass culture to come along with him, largely. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about SportsCenter. Back when Maine joined the company, it was the apex predator when it came to sports television. It was the number one show that discussed sports. And if Maine was doing an episode, then you were going to be riding that type of wry wit that Mm -hmm. one-of-a-kind observational style. Mm -hmm. And he really pushed that onto the masses. And to me, we say it so often that it's kind of become a cliche and almost a joke now that people say, he taught me it was okay to be weird. 
But Kenny Maine really did teach a generation of aspiring journalists that it was okay to be weird. Well, he, he, this Saharan wit that he has uh, to, to, to be involved and to be knowledgeable about sports, but also to have a perspective of, it's just fun and you should just be having fun and not to take it so seriously. I mean, the one thing that always came across to me about the way Kenny does his job is he doesn't take it too seriously. Uh, and he is looking for ways to say something that it hasn't been said before. Um, a little name drop real quickly. Rick Riley, when I worked at Sports Illustrated, used to always tell me his goal was to write something in a way that no one had ever written it before, just to try to experiment, to uh, open up the horizons and see where it went. And I think Kenny Mayne uh, was a paragon for that at ESPN. Do you feel any sense of sadness when this happens? I know that through our role, we're kind of taught to be neutral observers, to not really root for teams. But mm -hmm. I find myself rooting for personalities in media all the time. And I Thank think you. that that's okay. Do you find any sadness when a unique voice goes away? Because so often what we've seen is what makes sense business-wise. And it's no secret what's going on at ESPN where the programming is becoming stepping stones until the next live sports event. Mm -hmm. And you're going to want to try to do that as cheaply as possible because you can get <laughs> a replacement player maybe at below the production for way mm -hmm. cheaper. Do you get a sense of sadness when there's some personality loss? Because it's, I don't know about you, but I feel like we're coming to a time where I don't think it's ever going to swing back the other way. Uh, I hope I hope that last part is wrong, but I don't know. I do concur with you. I mean, we you know I think you and I have very similar sensibilities about a lot of things. I imagine, and I root for the iconoclast who isn't just a disruptor for the sake of being a disruptor. I mean, some of my favorite people at ESPN are John Bucci-Gross, Neil Everett. Kenny Maine, uh, guys who are originals and who have something to say without calling attention to themselves beating their chest. Uh, so one thing I always tell my students is there's a right thing to do and there's a thing that seems to make good financial sense. And if your right thing to do is about the financial sense, then you're sort of losing your way. And the irony of it all is usually the actual right thing to do will make more money for you at the end. Uh, at the end of the day, doing what you know is right, regardless of what you think is financially uh, intelligent in the moment, doing what you know is right is the right thing to do. And one example for is Bill Walton. Like Bill Walton is not a Norby Williamson type character. And yet he's wildly popular because he's sort of an iconoclast and he stands out. He took it to a place that no one really expected. So it, was, it wasn't that hard to be a Dan Patrick Keith Olbermann clone. Uh, they were brilliant and they started it, but then guys are coming in trying to do their shtick. And Kenny Mayne came in and took it to a place that no one had thought of yet. Uh, and I think they admired that. So I, you know, two of my, the catchphrases he used to use were taste like chicken or sounds like Pearl Jam which is just a placement holder for saying, I'm about to say something that I have to say every night. Like it's a home run, it, you know, going, going, gone, you know, any Bermanism. And he was basically saying, I can say that every night or I can just say another cliche thing that you hear all the time. 
And, and I just think that was particularly clever. Uh, and so within the halls of ESPN, I would imagine like it's been 27 years. So it's not like he got booted out when he was 45 and he was in his prime. I think there's a certain sense of like Bob Lee had his run. Uh, and I, I'm sure there's a little bit of melancholy uh, because you're losing not only a great talent, but I, I think everybody regarded him as a great guy to have around. So there's that sort of sense of we're losing one of the good people here too. And, and institutions rely on solid people, not just talent. Uh, those are the things behind the scenes that you know running your site and other people who've been a bit like it's a little bit about the guys that everybody likes being around. Kenny Main, it felt to me, I don't know him personally, but Josh Kurilowitz, Mike Soltis, you know, LaPlaca, all these guys I dealt with, they all loved him. They loved him. And that and, hurts. Well, I think for some of your students and maybe some of my younger listeners, it's tough to remember a time where Sports Center was at the center of conversation. Mm -hmm. But you were telling me before we came on air that your history with the show and covering the show dates back almost 30 years. What was it like when this thing was humming along at the peak of its popularity? What type of energy surrounded the show? Well, so I have to go into grizzled veteran mode here and, and remind your listeners that there was a time when you only got to see on television what your local market produced. So it's baseball season right now. If you live in Milwaukee, you could watch the Brewers games, but otherwise you had to wait until your local newscast uh, to get highlights and they may not even get to too many out of town games, right? So then you waited until the next day's newspaper. And if your favorite team played on the West Coast, you didn't even find out then unless you listen to the radio. That's where we were when SportsCenter was just taking off in this country in terms of, so suddenly there was a network that you could tune into at 11 p.m. Eastern. And not only would they tell you who had won all the games that day, they would show you highlights. <laughs> I remember, I couldn't believe it. Like, how do you guys get the rights to all these highlights? November of 1992, I was sent up by Sports Illustrated to help out on a piece on this new phenomenon known as SportsCenter. And they gave me all access because in 1992, Sports Illustrated was still a bigger deal than ESPN, believe it or not. Uh, and so here I am talking to Keith Olbermann and Bob Lee and uh, you know, Bill Patrick was there, but Chris Berman, Dan Patrick. And these are men who were sitting in cubicles, writing shows on a dreary November day, wondering if anybody in the world was even going to be watching later that night. Uh, but what, occurred, what hit me was their absolute commitment to this project. Uh, they believed in it so strongly. And this was one of those situations where the people who hired these guys just hit home run after home run after home run. Think about it. Olbermann, uh, you know, Dan Patrick, Craig Kilborn, Kenny Maine. Uh, they just hired the right people. And you have to give credit for the people who made those decisions. John Walsh, I would say, is probably one of the key figures there. But that was part of it. They just, it was like the British invasion and rock and roll in the early 60s, like one great talent after another. And you almost started to take it for granted. What was it like being in the bullpen when the show was coming together? Because I've been accused of being uh, a little bit hokey, a little bit romantic. But to me, when I grew up, 
you got the sense of putting together sports center was there was that sports night magic to it. The great mm-hmm. Sorkin series right. where it was like, watch that. And you felt like you could do anything. And Sorkin, as we all know, is so in love with the concept of doing big things mm-hmm. in work and work and coming together and a very specific, like insane energy <laughs> uh, that was kind of, you know, pointed, but, but warm. And I kind of got the sense that that's how sports center was put together, obviously, because the show was based on it. I'm not so sure that that feeling has been present in Bristol for a long time. There's a great scene in sports night that you've probably seen where the character Joshua Molina plays has to cut a highlight on his first day and he can't get it down below like three minutes and 30 seconds. And they're telling him we've got 12 seconds for this. And he's, but you don't understand this first pitch sets up the next pitch, which sets up the walk, which sets up. And it was really funny because that was a great, uh, you know, sort of exaggeration of what was going on at, at Sports Center. But it's true. And if you cook history lesson, you probably know this. Sorkin wrote Sports Night mainly because he had been, Sports Center had been keeping him going while he was writing A Few Good Men. I think it was A Few Good Men, maybe The American President, but one of those two, he would watch Sports Center almost as his drug. Uh, of choice at the time, and and it was this ode to, to Sports Center, which which you know inspired him to write Sports Night. But at the time, the PAs uh, at the produce, production assistants who would cut every game, they took it so seriously. Um, there was this complete commitment among the young staffers because one, they were proud to be a part of this new big thing that was happening, but also because there wasn't Twitter and there wasn't. ESPN.com yet. And this was where you were going to learn how the Reds beat the Braves on a Tuesday night. Uh, And they were sort of the authors of this little short film, the production assistants were. So uh, the hours they put in were crazy. I had friends who were doing it at the time. I remember in the piece, I asked one of the young women who was a production assistant, do you even make more than a flight attendant? And she didn't know what a flight attendant made. I told her, and she was shocked because she realized she made less. But at the, at the same point, like they didn't really care. Uh, they had like a six month tryout to prove that they were worthy of remaining at ESPN. And if they remained there, they hoped they would go on to become a coordinating producer. The, the big difference is now you know when you're working at SportsCenter that you're not needed in terms of information. Like, you know, America's gonna find out who won either because they're watching it on a, you know, directly or they're seeing it on Twitter, or they're watching, finding out on their little phone. You, you don't need SportsCenter to find out who won. What you needed is for something like with what Scott Van Pelt does on a nightly basis, to give it some edge personality insight that maybe no one else is doing. It's a great segue because I have recently rediscovered the show mm-hmm. and what the show is really capable of in 2021 and it is an extremely valuable resource for me mm-hmm. as someone who runs a sports website like really think about it like at its at its purest form about mm-hmm. an hour and you get caught up to the big picture stories mm-hmm. in sports i can watch it last night i can see how the suns are doing i can see how the lakers are doing i can check out the four most interesting things that happen in major league baseball. It is replete with stats that are interesting trends mm-hmm. that are interesting in terms of like getting a big picture outlook of what's going on in the world. And in a way, I mean, as a former newspaper writer myself and the demise of newspapers being a very sore subject, 
Mm-hmm. I think that we need to look at other mediums as kind of like carrying on the legacy of what this is doing. This is basically serving as opening up your sports page, leafing mm-hmm. through it, getting a general sense of what's going on enough to have a conversation. If you run into someone in real life about the topic, it's really a magnificent show. And I think that it's not really about the final score. It's about no. the storylines. It's and one of the story. reasons why I think it's so important too, and has t- stayed the test of time and, and has a great potential going forward is it's all informational based. If you watch ESPN or FS1 all day, you mm-hmm. are bombarded with opinions. This is right. all just straight information and it causes people to give you just the facts and give people news they can use. Like it really still is this shining thing that has almost swung the other way to like cut <laughs> the noise to just give you what you need. What do you what do you think of that take? I completely agree. I'll give you a perfect example from I believe two nights ago. The Reds were playing the Pirates. And I, I remember was, I was watching Scott Van Pelt. And most of the clip was about how a player, one player from each of the, the Reds and the Pirates had been basically pushed out of the dugout by each of their teams to see who would stand with their hand on their heart longer for the national anthem. It was sort of a stare down. So that even once the anthem was done, neither guy would return to the dugout. Did you see this? Yeah, I did. It's a it's a really common thing that happens in uh, in college baseball a lot. It's kind of like it's the game of chicken about who's going to stand out there the longest. Yes. It'll happen. The ump was getting upset. Uh, that was more. That was fun, and it was something I wouldn't have seen if I read a, a wire story about the game. Gave the game some more personality. Uh, that's that's the kind of stuff I think they should be doing in terms of finding something that I wouldn't find from the wire story. Um, or from, like you said, an opinion base. So uh, I love that, that Van Pelt lingered on it for a little bit. Um, I remember a couple of nights ago, maybe a week ago, the Suns and the Cavs played. I don't know, Cav, the Cavs were, you know, underdog by, I don't know, less maybe 10 or 14 points. And they were taking it to the wire. If you had the Cavs, you were fine. The game was going to the wire and the Cavs were going to cover. Game goes into overtime. Suns explode, win by 16. If you have the Cavs now, you've lost. <laughs> and I don't think that had happened in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of NBA games. They talked about it on SportsCenter. It was this magnificent nugget. Like you said, if I run into a guy at a bar, we're talking about that over a beer. That's what they, that's what they can do. It's the perfect distillation because I'll tell you what, I was watching that too. I remember that it was a 12 and a half point line. Mm-hmm. So it would have been fine at any point, except they go into overtime and it was the outscore 20 to four, like you said, a 16 point differential. And I remember the stat they told me it's only the third time that that's ever happened, that there's been a 16 point win in NBA history without sports center. I wouldn't have known that right. I took that information. We turned it into a post. It okay. did well because it's just something like, Hey, that's an interesting thing. Unusual. It's unusual. And that's what we live for. And I think that what's what's going on at, at sport at Sports Center both now and back then is I think it's my opinion that you have to be more skilled to anchor Sports Center than you need to uh, lead an opinion or debate show because mm-hmm. you have to get everything right. There are no consequences for getting anything wrong on our on our hot take shows, and you're also utilizing the part of the journalistic brain that is about news judgment and editorial judgment. 
Mm-hmm. Sports Center is one of the few places where the rundown still matters. Yeah. A block matters. Mm-hmm. The B block matters. And if you are interested in the industry and how content is created mm-hmm. from an editorial lens, it's still fascinating because there is capital in leading sports center or, or whatever. It's just so interesting to see how they structure the show. Whereas a debate or a talk show or a show where they just show viral clips off the internet, that's very loose. That's a show you and I could do almost mm-hmm. without any preparation. There's a tremendous amount of legwork that goes into getting sports center right from the scripted sense. And then also adapting to new information that's coming in. Did you watch, I don't know if you've watched the, uh, the CNN series about the late night talk show, the history of late night. And, and they talk about this past episode about how David Letterman's morning show was canceled. It was his first show. Well, it's, you, I don't know where you'll ever find tapes of David Letterman's morning show, which preceded his late night run. It's brilliant. It's hilarious. And I think at a certain point, David Letterman and Meryl Marco, his producer, said, we're doing the show for ourselves. Like, we're not worried about ratings. We have a certain standard we want to meet. And I imagine that if you're Scott Van Pelt or anyone else associated with SportsCenter, you're doing the show for your own level of integrity and value. And, and you know what's good. And you don't worry about the ratings. You don't worry about a cross-promotion for, with the latest Disney film. In fact, you don't even let that get on your show if you have the power to, to negate that and to veto that. You, are, you care about, is this a show I would wanna watch? And I imagine you doing your blog you, with the big lead. Is this a story, is this a post I would want to read? When you look at it that way and you trust your own judgment, you're gonna produce good material. If you say to yourself, well, we have, Disney is coming out with these three movies and this, and we wanna get them all on the show, which is what the 6 p.m. Sports Center was guilty of doing. I don't know if they still do it. I'm turning off as a viewer. I'm like, no, you're not going to, you know, pimp me. I don't want to hear that. But, but I trust that Neil Leverett and Stan Verrett, I trust that Scott Van Pelt are going to give me the show that they would want to watch. And I trust their, their judgment. I trust their talent. Well, I'm not so sure that the executives really understand what they have in it. I know that it's not flashy, but think of, all the work that had to be done to establish it into being the show of record. You mm-hmm. can't just do that. Fox sports never, like they tried never briefly, abandoned never it. You could, you could never launch a show that even tries to infringe or steal some of the market share away from sports center. It just, mm-hmm. it can't be done. It's been tried many times. Mm-hmm. It's a losing effort. So as we look about going into the future and then also the past, I've written before that, and Van Pelt did this last night when I was watching, he has this segment called SVP Vault, where he goes and he shows an old old highlight. I think last night was an old uh, Warrior series with uh, Baron Davis from the playoffs, and they just <laughs> showed the highlights from 2007. Mm-hmm. If they could put find a way to throw all those old shows, all those great moments onto mm-hmm. streaming, I mean, I'm a sucker for that stuff, but I got to feel like there's a tremendous audience for that. I don't know what the red tape is when it comes mm-hmm. to like hi- showing the highlights again and showing those rights, but it seems like there's an incredible market there for sports center nostalgia. You see it too. Whenever any of this big event happens the other day, Albert Pujols retired, right? What's right. the thing we saw? We saw the Albert Pujols, this is sports center time. So I'm not <laughs> so sure they really realize all the power they, they have, have with this show going forward. 
Uh, I couldn't agree more. I think there's a great untapped market for sports history in general. And for people appreciating that there were sports before they were born. Uh, there were sports before September 9th, 1979. I think that's the day when, or September 4th or whatever that ESPN debuted. There's fascinating stories all over the place and it's not boring. Um, and, and I, you know, I love that SVP is doing the vault. I think there's even more potential here um, to, to just amaze people. Uh, you know, I have my students read Loose Balls, the book about the ABA. Uh, like, it's all been done. Like, it's crazy. All this wild stuff that you see whenever you see it, it's been done before, and that gives people a better perspective. So, but to your point about ESPN's, like, understanding its value in Sports Center, you're right. Fox Sports has been around forever. Remember, uh, I can't remember the, the two Canadian anchors that they, they imported, but they just really couldn't make much of a dent into Sports Center. Um, so, as long as they continue to put their premier talent into it, which, you know, they still have, uh, I think it's valuable. And I mean, I think they understand it's valuable. Um, but it's America's like, you know, I can, I, it used to be the way Johnny Carson was. I can tune in to, at 11 o'clock and I will get, like you said, my fill of sports. People used to tune in just for the monologue for Johnny Carson and feel like, okay, my day is complete. One last question for you here. If we agree that SportsCenter is not the proving ground to nurture an enormous new star, a face of the network at ESPN anymore, and I, and I think that we do, mm. where do they do that? And how do they do that at a time where it's never been more important to have an engaged, loyal fan base around one or two stars who can lead a program? I actually think it should still be the proving ground. Um, I don't think the viewers or the perpetrators get any value of you for you being on around the horn and spouting off stuff when you're doing more spouting than reporting. Um, I don't want your opinions until you are proven to me. You know, everybody wants to say, you know, has an opinion on Stephen A. Smith, but he was a reporter for decades before he became the voice. Uh, and I, and I believe that what they should be looking for people, young people, to have the energy to do SportsCenter. It's a, I would think it's the best proving ground, honestly. I mean, like somebody like Matt Barry, who, who worked uh, in the local markets for you know, more than a decade, if not closer to two. I think of him as really young. I think he's in his early 40s, though. But like, that's somebody who I think is somebody they can groom. Um, I don't know where else on SportsCenter you'd want it. There are guys who are game broadcasters, but you're not going to bring them to Bristol, right? So then you have what? Like you're going to do um, like a, a Michelle Beadle, Colin Cowher type show again? I don't, again, those are personalities. Uh, but the way you cut your teeth at ESPN, I believe still should be do that 2 a.m. Sports Center if they even still have. I mean, I know it's like Keith and Neil. I mean, Neil and Stan now, but do those Sports Centers on the morning, every day, consistent batting practice to to learn to refine your craft. I don't know a better way to do it than that. Favorite Kenny Main memory? Wow, it's it's just. I mean, I, other people have said this, but the home run call where he says something to the effect of these puny ball, ballparks cannot contain my gar gargantuan blasts. Bring me all the meats and cheeses. 
it's like, you know, basically calling the, this cheesy Sinbad film or something like that, putting it into sports and making it funny, like relating all of culture and life into what goes on in sports. That's what I love about it. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.